Welcome to Challenge Radio, the official podcast of Progressive Labor Party. PLP fights to destroy capitalism and the dictatorship of the capitalist class. We organize workers, soldiers, and youth into a revolutionary movement for communism. On today's episode, we'll have a reading of the recent editorial and challenge, Imperialist Profit Drives Genocide and Wider Wars, followed by a continued discussion of the genocide occurring in Gaza. Imperialist Profit Drives Genocide and Wider Wars As the Israeli ruler's bloodbath in Gaza reaches new depths, it's no accident that inter-imperialist conflict is widening around the world's largest strategic reserves of oil and gas. The latest capitalist disaster began with a ruthless anti-worker terror attack by Hamas and a genocidal response by the state terrorist Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF. Now it has spread into IDF violence in the occupied West Bank and bloody fights in at least four neighboring countries, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and Yemen. This knife's edge volatility marks the snowballing decline of the old U.S.-led world order and the rise of competing imperialist bosses in China and Russia. Along with Ukraine, Taiwan, and South and East China Seas, the Middle East is a prime potential flashpoint for World War III. In Syria, months of airstrikes against pro-Iran militias have failed to stop drone attacks on U.S. bases there. In Lebanon, Iran's proxy forces in Hezbollah are firing rockets and drones at military posts and border towns in Israel, forcing the evacuation of 60,000 residents. Not to be outdone, the IDF has bombed Lebanon daily, displacing 74,500 people and killing 160. Israel's rulers say they are ready to open a second front in a war that could soon get much bigger. If anything, the tempo of these clashes seems to be quickening. On Christmas Day, U.S. airstrikes targeted Iran-backed forces in Iraq. On December 31st, U.S. Navy helicopters sank three Yemeni Houthi boats in the Red Sea after reports of an attempted maritime hijacking. On January 2nd, a top Hamas official was assassinated by a drone strike outside Beirut. One day later, in a rare terror attack inside Iran, explosions massacred more than 100 mourners on the anniversary of the U.S. assassination of General Qasem Soleimani. Worldwide, the imperialist battle for supremacy is reshaping alliances and escalating their struggle to control markets, resources, and labor, a struggle at the hideous heart of this capitalist profit system. According to the Carter Doctrine, as proclaimed in 1980 by U.S. President Jimmy Carter, any attempt by any outside force to gain control of the Persian Gulf region will be regarded as an assault on the vital interest of the U.S. and will be repelled by any means necessary, including military force. More than 40 years later, we are witnessing the legacy of the president who supposedly championed quote-unquote human rights, a horrific suffering in Gaza. Joe Biden, War Criminal in Chief Make no mistake, it's the U.S. boss's vital interest in oil and gas that compel their cold-blooded support for Israel's ethnic cleansing in the Gaza Strip. Back in October, Yoav Gallant, Israel's goose-stepping defense minister, made the Zionist regime's plans clear, saying, 
quote, there will be no electricity, no food, no fuel. We are fighting human animals and we are acting accordingly, end quote. The predictable results, the internal displacement of more than 80% of Gaza's population, looming mass starvation, and the slaughter in plain sight of more than 22,000 people, two-thirds of them women and children, or about twice as many women and children in two months as Russian forces have killed in Ukraine in nearly two years. According to a former United Nations war crimes investigator, the density of Israel's first month of bombardment in Gaza has no parallel since the U.S. genocide in Vietnam nearly half a century ago. Many civilians have been slaughtered by the monstrous 2,000-pound bombs dropped on Gaza City south of Rafah, where the IDF steered families to find safe shelter. The bombs have a lethal fragmentation radius of about 1,200 feet, an area equivalent to 58 soccer fields. They are so blatantly criminal that the U.S. military death machine used only one of them in its no-holds-barred war against ISIS. But since October 7th, more than 5,000 of these bunker busters have been furnished to Israel by the same Joe Biden administration that's now publicly advising the Zionist baby killers to quote-unquote minimize civilian casualties. They're the same pack of shameless liberal liars who vetoed a December 8th, 2023 ceasefire resolution at the UN Security Council. Workers everywhere must fight back against U.S. imperialist atrocities. At the same time, we must call out the regional gangsters who run Israel and Iran, along with the quote-unquote national liberation misleaders like Hamas. Under capitalism, wars are fueled by the ruler's need for maximum profit. There can never be world peace as long as the bosses are grasping for their next dollar. Only the international working class, organized for communist revolution by progressive labor party, can end imperialist war by smashing the bosses and their states. Only our class can cure the fatal diseases of nationalism, racism, and sexism for all time. Imperialists sharpen knives for oil. Of the ten countries with the largest proven oil reserves, five are in the Persian Gulf region. Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, United Arab Emirates, and Kuwait with close to a trillion barrels of oil among them. Four of those countries are also among the top ten for proven reserves of natural gas. It's worth noting that significant oil and gas deposits were recently discovered off the coast of Lebanon, Israel, and Gaza. Despite U.S. rulers' warnings to stay out of the Gulf, Russia and China are infiltrating the region. In 2018, Russian military support led torture king Bashar al-Assad to a civil war victory over his equally brutal U.S.-backed enemies. Last year, China Premier Xi Jinping brokered a quote-unquote peace summit to restore diplomatic ties between longtime rivals Saudi Arabia and Iran. The October 7th attack by Hamas, possibly orchestrated by the vicious mullahs of Iran, shattered U.S. plans to reconcile Israel's Zionist bosses with the Saudi rulers. With backing from both Russia and China, Iran has funded and armed the Houthis in Yemen, Hezbollah in Lebanon, and Kitab. Hezbollah in Iraq, all sworn enemies of U.S. interests. After nine years of devastating civil war, the Houthi bosses control, control a strategic area of northern Yemen that borders the Red Sea, the gateway to the Suez Canal, a vital artery for container ships and fuel tankers, including major oil interests. Despite a U.S.-backed Saudi bombing campaign that wiped out tens of thousands of civilians, the Houthis remain defiant. Join the fight for communism. With no end in sight to Israel's mass murder in Gaza, weakness in the U.S. ruling class has been exposed for all to see. 
anti-Zionist sentiment and condemnation of Israeli apartheid rule in the occupied territories are at all-time highs around the world. Notwithstanding the trap of Palestinian nationalism, honest workers' eyes are opening to the hypocrisy of liberal U.S. misleaders. Workers are turning against the Democrats and threatening not to vote for Biden this November. As U.S. politicians keep funding Israeli genocide, a militant anti-war movement is sprouting. Workers in Los Angeles, New York, and Chicago shut down holiday access to airports. Others disrupted the lavish Tournament of Roses parade on New Year's Day. As communists, we need to be in this struggle to combat the leadership's dead-end nationalism with internationalism. But street protests won't be enough to end the boss's butchery. We need to organize soldiers and all the capitalist-led armies to turn the guns around for communist revolution. Only a revolutionary communist party, PLP, can lead this fight to smash imperialist war. Only a united international working class can create a world run by and for workers where the boss's profit-driven wars will be a distant memory. Join us. Welcome back to Challenge Radio. Um, and I have two comrades on with me to discuss the editorial. Uh, so thank you for both for joining me. You know, we've talked about Gaza on this podcast a few times now. Um, this editorial zooms out a little bit and discusses sort of the regional cascading conflict that's happening and the potential for it to spread even wider. Uh, there was news this week after the editorial came out, the United States and the UK bombed some sites in Yemen in response to the Houthis. Um, activities in the Red Sea. So I'm going to just start a little bit with the general underlying premise of the editorial, which is that this is being driven by capitalism and a major imperialist power competition. So I think a lot of people assume that the underlying reason for the genocide is simply an ethnic hatred uh, between Palestinians and Jews in the region. Article talks about how it's actually competition for oil. Can you both talk a little bit about why this is and what do you think it means for the big fascists who back Joe Biden? Capitalist competition is fundamental to capitalism. Competition proceeds over markets, resources, and labor. Oil is incredibly important to modern economies, both in terms of the government and in terms of the military. and its control is vital to any imperialist power that wants to rule the world. Post-World War II, the U.S. has basically been the preeminent imperialist. They're uh, being challenged by China and Russia, and that, that challenge uh, includes the fight over who controls oil. So the whole question of profit is highly connected with how that fight resolves itself. Uh, and so that imperialist power that is able to control oil, number one, and number two, that is able to fight off 
its uh, competitors, uh, in this case, its biggest competitors are Russia and China, in this area of the world is crucial to U.S. imperialism maintaining its status as number one uh, imperialist. And, and conversely, it also, to the extent that the U.S. is unable to do that, uh, which we've seen with uh, Russian and Chinese diplomatic and, and military incursions in that area, uh, to the extent the U.S. is unable to do that, their, their uh, decline as the number one power is being, uh, being accelerated. Yeah, I think that people are a little bit more cognizant of what's going on in the Middle East in terms of control of oil and oil routes than they may have been in the past since that was a big part of the anti-war protests during the Iraq war and things like that. But still, obviously, the mainstream capitalist media is not going to talk about that. They want to push that it's this fight between, you know, Israel and Palestine and Israel and Hamas and that Hamas is a terrorist group. And so anything that Israel does is justified in that way. I think the way that we as communists can refocus that to talk about how this is Israel controlling land and controlling resources, and obviously, of course, controlling workers as well, and keeping the workers in that area as subjugated and oppressed as they can in moving towards that that goal, those goals. Yeah, I think this is really important because it shows that the slaughter in Gaza facilitates the oppression of workers, both Jewish and Palestinian workers, right? So it isn't so much that the Israeli workers are going to be winning from this, getting anything that's going to be allowing the people that exploit them to continue to exploit them, as well as obviously the murder of a lot of the Palestinians and their continued exploitation. So we, we say that the there's a split in the United States between the big fascists and the small fascists, and the big fascists who are more internationally minded, more Wall Street minded, are the ones who are backing Joe Biden. So what are they wanting to see out of this conflict, or how do they want to manage um, the potential for a larger regional conflict? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. Israel has been historically what we would call an attack dog for U.S. imperialism because that area is so important and critical to U.S. imperialist control of the world. They need someone, preferably a government or a state, that is in line with their policy and is willing to use whatever violence is necessary, supplied by the U.S., of course, in, in, in a major way, to keep any competitors and also to keep down those who those workers who are oppressed and who see the reality of both Israeli fascism and U.S. backing for that. So I've heard people say that even Reagan did more to rein in Israel than Biden is doing. Uh, and it seems clear that the administration doesn't like the political fallout from this, and yet it doesn't seem to be able to do anything about it. Whereas in the presence of the past have been at least able to 
uh, discipline Israel a little bit, rein it in a little bit. There's a story of continuing to climb the United States and the rise of China as an alternative, as a like a funder or you know if you're a proxy state looking for a imperialist to back, there's another option, right? How is this dynamic playing out with the relationship between the United States and Israel? Well, it, Israel is off the leash. In a, it, going back to the analogy on the attack dog, and the U.S. is trying to get get them back on the leash to a certain extent. Fact that the U.S. is not able to control what Israel is doing is a function of their weakness uh, and their decline as number as the number one world imperialist power, as the Russians and Chinese rise in their challenge to the U.S. At the same time, uh, the U.S. is less and less able to control things the way they used to be able to do that. So that's where the current situation with the U.S. and Israel is clear. The U.S. is telling Israel to to uh, scale back a little bit in Gaza. There's been multiple articles in, in the ruling class media explaining what they have been telling the Israelis, the Israelis are basically telling them to go put it where the sun don't shine. As a result, it's a situation where the volatility and the unpredictability of what is happening there uh, can easily lead to some military conflict, some war that is much more serious than the one between between Hamas and Israel, which is, of course, horrendous enough with tens of thousands of innocent people being murdered, uh, many of them women and children. I think the other aspect is that the big fascists were not ready for this confrontation. They do not have the backing of the working class in the U.S. There's a lot of talk especially young people that they don't that they're not going to vote for Biden because he's supporting this genocide there's the the big fascists are in trouble in that way in that this has spiraled out of out of their control and they don't have the the ba- the basis of nationalism and patriotism that they would that they would want to have before you know this war gets wider because right now they don't have I feel like they don't have the the support that they would want in order to be able to widen this war which it looks like you know with the bombings in Yemen is going to happen sooner rather than later yeah that's very interesting I think we've been predicting for a while this rise in fascism being led by the Democrats and the big fascists those of us in civil society, our universities can see that you know deception is not working, and so the force is coming out. People's livelihoods are being threatened, and and police are being used to discipline people because they're no longer being deceived into following their leadership, um, which is a very important, I think, step towards where we're headed, um, not just because of this region but worldwide. Speaking of this escalating conflict. Hezbollah so far has seemed to want to be very restrained in their response. There's been low-level fighting along the Lebanese border. Of course, Hezbollah is, is a major militia or armed force in Lebanon. They've said that they do not want to have a more direct confrontation with Israel. 
they want to maintain sort of this low-level fighting on the border. In this editorial, this bombing in a Beirut neighborhood was mentioned. I guess they assassinated a Hamas leader and, and in doing so killed a bunch of civilians nearby. Um, and this has caused a lot of rage there. So is Israel hoping for a bigger conflict? And why, why might they be looking to expand this to Lebanon? Yeah, so I think um, Israel has stated that they were, as, as the editorial was being written, they stated that they were ready to expand into Lebanon. New oil reserves had just recently been found in Lebanon. That's part of, part of the reason that, that Israel's ready to expand their fight. I also think they, well, the Netanyahu regime suffered a loss of confidence uh, in terms of the ruling class for sure in Israel. Uh, they apparently were not prepared for this attack, even though they knew about it, that they knew that it was being rehearsed. Their reputation in the area, in that area of the world, is staked upon this idea that they're number one, invincible. And they're no, and number two that they're uh, that they'll go mad dog crazy if anybody tries anything. This is something that they want to uh, recover. They also have certainly their right, especially the settler population, the Israeli settler population, which is a which I would term be uh, as being openly fascist, wants a an expansion of Israel all, on all sides. You know they're they're promoting they're promoting that, and that's certainly a big part of Netanyahu's base. Uh, so they're doing it for not just economic reasons, but also political reasons. Uh, and as things develop, we'll see more and more how they need that the the Netanyahu big uh, fascists, which I think are big the big fascists in Israel, need that continue their control over the reins of power. Yeah, I can imagine that for them, having a target like Hezbollah probably is more politically expedient. It's less embarrassing than bombing essentially a prison camp of a bunch of children. Um, so right. you, can see, you have, like they can see a political opportunity there. I've read that the U.S. State Department is already planning for Netanyahu's replacement because he's lost so much political esteem within Israel. So yeah, that that makes sense. So moving to the Houthis, and uh, the editorial was covered that the Houthis have been attacking ships bound for Israel. What do you all make of this? In doing so, you can talk a little bit about the importance of the Red Sea as well, which has been covered in Challenge a little bit more recently. Yeah, so um, the Houthis originally said that they were going to be attacking trade ships going to Israel and out of, and owned by Israel. Um, until Israel stopped bombing Gaza or stopped their blockade of um, of goods to Gaza, but they've just been bombing ships. So, I mean, there it seems like their main goal right now is to disrupt any uh, traffic through the Red Sea, which is a big, a decent sized trade corridor and has about 15% of trade traffic through that area. Um, it's also, it's already starting to affect some car factories in Germany have shut down. I think they announced it today, Volvo 
and I don't remember the other one, but uh, because they can't get their ships through the Red Sea and the detours that they have to take to avoid the Red Sea are going to uh, take too long. So that's already, they're already shutting down production. And I think it seems like they want to, with their attacks, they want to expand the war with, with Israel. They've, they've stated as much that they're ready for whoever wants to come at them, whether it's the U.S. or whether it's Israel. So I think that's kind of where we're where I'm seeing things right now. And I, I want to add to that, both uh, the Houthis, the Hezbollah in Lebanon, there's a Hezbollah group also in Iraq, and uh, Hamas uh, are all on very good terms with Iran, uh, and not only on very good terms, but Iran supports them economically, and I, I think it's fair to say military, probably militarily. And the Houthis, on the other hand, had been fighting against uh, Saudi Arabia military and ruling class that that wanted control of uh, and and have a puppet government in in Yemen. And there was a long civil war in which hundreds of thousands of civilians died, but the Houthis basically came out on top in that uh, civil war. So this is Iran also upping the ante. And Iran also, we haven't said this yet, but Iran has very is increasingly tied to uh, the two main rivals to U.S. imperialism, meaning Russia and China, both economically and politically. And so uh, they are a thorn, certainly a bigger thorn in the side of the U.S. than uh, these these smaller groups that affiliate with uh, with or that are backed by Iran, I should say. Uh, something else that we we need to be clear on is that, without exception, there is nothing the international working class has to gain by supporting any of these groups. None of these groups are are pro working class certainly not communist, uh, they're all out for their own ruling classes or leadership, whatever it is, and their, uh, their, their use of nationalism uh, to, to mobilize people against the U.S. and Israel is not really any different than the U.S. and Israeli use of nationalism to, to motivate their Population. So nationalism, as communists have, have uh, in, in our party, have seen as a, a dead end for, for the working class. Uh, only international working class unity is capable of uh, overthrowing capitalism and establishing a society where the working class both rules and has the power to suppress its all of its enemies and, and, and set up a, a a communist system of of society where each from each according to commitment to each according to need. Yeah, that's well said. You can sort of see like, you know, people are tempted to be sympathetic to Hamas um, and to the Houthis. The Houthis are invoking like the principle to protect, which, uh, you know, the U.S. has cynically done several times as a U.N. principle that 
countries ought to intervene when there's genocide. But you can see how this is an embarrassment to Saudi Arabia. I mean, Saudi Arabia was weeks away from signing a deal with Israel to recognize them and to normalize relations. Um, and now you have an enemy they just got done fighting, standing up for Palestinians, right? Um, Saudi Arabia is stuck between a rock and a hard place. And all of that benefits Iran, which in, in turn benefits Chinese designs on controlling Mideast oil. Um, so you can see how like all of these, the, the real motivations here are imperial domination and the continued exploitation of workers, regardless of what the form is. And then, of course, like, like we said before, now the UK and the US are bombing Houthi sites in Yemen. Um, so there's a immediate, there's already an escalation here, and the United States is going to be directly involved. So I'm worried, I'm sure um, you all are worried that the United States will start bombing sites in Lebanon, going after Hezbollah on behalf of the Israelis, and maybe the Israelis see a chance not to do all the fighting themselves, but force the United States in. And this is how you get these cascading escalations that lead to a larger world war. The real danger here is that um, a direct confrontation with Iran sort of leads to a very dangerous, perhaps nuclear conflict in the region. Yeah, I was just uh, seeing today about Iran and their nuclear capabilities, um, that they are basically 95% there to create a nuclear weapon with with the nuclear material that they that they have. And I think it's a genuine worry that this war could escalate to to something involving um, nuclear weapons, which would be catastrophic for the working class. And I, I want to add to that, I think what we're seeing is the prelude to World War III. Uh, if we look back, other world wars, there was a certain point where history books say, well, well, that's when the war started. But if you really investigate it, there were smaller conflicts, there were regional conflicts, there were proxy conflicts that happened within um, you know five to ten years prior that uh, helped lay the groundwork for the actual what what's dubbed the world war. So I think what we're seeing, I hate to say it, but I think what we're seeing is a, um, a pr the prelude uh, to World War III. Uh, which will eventually uh, involve uh, the U.S. on the one side, probably European allies with it, and then Russia and China and a, a number of other countries. It's hard to tell exactly where they'll go, but as things get sharper, there will be more blocks of uh, economic and political and ultimately military blocks of countries that will be the alliances that end up being on each side in the world war that's coming. Yes, yeah, so it doesn't seem like there's any way for the U.S. to try to resolve this without eventually going to world war. And so it, it makes sense that this, you know, there's going to be just this long escalation leading up to that. So the article does note that there's a fledgling anti-war movement emerging in the United States. There's a lot of uh, marching and protests and organized resistance to the Israeli genocide and Gaza, um, and in general, an anti-war movement against expanding the war. What, what do you all make of this? Why, why is this important? 
historically times of war have been the the times when our our party and other organizations have been able to make great gains in organizing particularly because these wars expose many of the contradictions that can be kept more hidden during peacetime like you stated earlier fascism is is growing they're having the ruling class is having to use more force against the working class to get people in line people are, are being um, attacked on the job both in university college settings and also in uh, public schools for being against um, Israel or for supporting Palestinian workers or just for being anti-war in general <clears throat> and I think that you know this is a big opportunity for us to um, expand our base for communism and to really fight back against uh, the nationalist misleaders of the current movement and really show how internationalism is the path that the workers of the world need for liberation. Yeah, PLP made some of its biggest advances during the anti-Vietnam War movement. The Russian Revolution was a pro in part a product of the mass slaughter of World War One, the Chinese Revolution followed World War Two, and even more recently, there there was an upsurge of activity, anti-war activity in in the military and among military families during the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, which ultimately made it more difficult for the U.S. to continue its uh, occupation. Uh, in those areas of the world, so uh, these are these are big opportunities for the party, big opportunities for the working class to see that the only solution to capitalist-caused wars that flow from imperialist rivalry and fighting conflict over over resources, markets, and labor is is a communist revolution that will. Do away with the economic motivation and the material basis for uh, imperialist war and competition. Yeah, well said. I, I'm very hardened by this phenomenon of people walking away from the Democratic Party um, as we move into this war period. You think about examples from the past of populations buying into the fascist ideology and marching on behalf of their nation. And you just see the other reward for the German workers was millions slaughtered in this me mechanized battlefield so that um, a small group of Germans could make 20% profits. And in the United States, if, if the working class can understand they have the power that they don't need um, the Democrats to fight Trumpian fascism, but that we control we our labor, it makes all the bombs, it makes all the cars, it makes all of the ships move and all the oil go from here to there. If we can recognize that we have the power, that we don't need these politicians, um, and we can have a mass walk away from their political movements and institutions and to a uh, worker-led, four-worker movement led by PLP, then we can prevent the worst of this, and we can actually take this war and turn it around and make it into a revolution. 
um, like the Russians did during World War One and the Chinese did during World War Two, like you said. So it's very heartening for me to see, and we, we should, I think we should be encouraging this, that, that you can see who they are now. That's what these splinter moments, they reveal themselves and who they really have been this whole time, and workers, I think, are starting to see that. All right, is there any last words you'd like to say? PLP is committed to um, to the fight against genocide in Gaza, and we have shown already, and we'll continue to show uh, tremendous solidarity with the people who are who are being slaughtered, who are suffering famine. It's even in uh, the terms of the of the United Nations. This is the worst famine in a long time. Uh, that's that's breaking out in Gaza as a result of Israeli genocidal policies of not allowing food and other basic commodities into into Gaza. So we stand in solidarity, but we reject uh, with the Palestinian uh, workers. We reject the nationalist misleaders and the fascists who are causing this uh, genocide. And we uh, fight for a working class revolution to rule the world for the workers. Well said. Thank you both so much for joining us. And you now, join PLP. We're fighting back against this genocide. Uh, we have uh, lots of people involved with the anti-war movement at this moment. If you'd like to be involved, uh, join PLP. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah.